0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Rosemary Giles, and I'm your co-host, Laura Muñoz, and we are here today with Joel Welch. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Hi, folks. It's great to be here. i love to support SOGS and the GradCast.
0: Amazing. Well, to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your thesis and your work at Western?
1: Well, uh, I'm a lawyer, and I'm about to be finished my first year of my PhD at the Faculty of Law, a four-year program. And my focus as my practice was in criminal law and regulatory law and administrative law. I spent uh, a number of years working for the Government of Canada. I'm a bit of a mature, older student, and uh, I had an opportunity to come back to Western, uh, which I've had previous degrees, and to do a PhD. So that's what I'm doing in law
0: that's amazing so is a phd in law uh kind of like your typical phd where you write a dissertation
1: yes it is but because it's a professional program and you have several degrees before you can get into this program it's different it's a four-year program you have to take six courses it's theoretically possible to do it in one year all the coursework just not recommended So most people do it over two years and then spend the last two years of the four-year program writing a dissertation. And you don't have to be local. You can be on a beach in Hawaii or Florida. We'll see what happens with me.
2: (laughs)
0: Amazing. Well, then what is your dissertation on?
1: Well, I'm studying space law and I'm studying science fiction. I know it strikes people as being slightly unusual. It is unorthodox. I'm definitely an outlier in the legal scholastic community, so I suppose. But I think science fiction brings a lot to the table and can, can be quite informative in terms of legal problems and about possible solutions in the future. So I am studying the intersection of space law or technology law and science fiction. And I'm looking at science fiction through the lens of what's called law and literature. It's the influence of literature on legal decision makers and on policymakers.
2: That's absolutely amazing. And it sounds really cool, but you will have to dissect this for us. What do you mean when you say a space law and how can you inform law with literature? How, How does that work?
1: Very good questions. First thing, I'm talking about the outer space law. So space, as in like above Earth, like uh, Mars and the moon and uh, NASA and the Canadian Space Agency, all these folks. So that's what we mean by outer space law. Most of it is governed by international public law, which means there's problems with enforcement because we're relying on treaties and international law. And the big treaty is the outer space treaty of 1967. Yeah, This will be on the test so uh so there's five main space treaties right okay with all the space-faring nations most of them uh but the problem is that it hasn't been updated in decades and decades and that's because of geopolitics and and just politics in general so we're living in an age where you have uh space-faring countries like the united states uh is going to go back to the moon and they've uh they convince other partner agencies to sign on, like Canada, like Japan, like the UK, and like Australia, which is unusual because they're a signatory to the Moon Treaty. I won't, that's a digression. Uh, but it, it means that uh, we're going back and there's a an binding agreement, which mostly it's, it's a bilateral thing. So you have nation versus nation. And part of it is to incorporate stuff in terms of your own domestic laws. So in Canada, uh, we have to sign on, we have to protect, say, space heritage because we don't want to go back to the moon and kick over the footprints that Neil Armstrong left when the first step on the moon in 1969. That would probably be bad because it would be lost forever.
2: So can you give us an example of a space law? Like, which law exists that is related to space? Can you just give us an example just for me to, like, put this into more? Uh,
1: Sure. Okay. so a few months ago, the. before all this current uh, uh, global conflict is happening, uh, I believe back in November, or beginning of December of 2021, the Russian, uh, Russia Federation uh, launched an anti-satellite missile, uh, destroying one of their old derelict satellites. By itself, yeah, it, it's testing. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's bad. It's really bad for space debris because it creates these fragments of the former satellite thousands of these uh, little pieces of metal and flecks of paint and they're highly dangerous because they're in orbit so they're going really fast Uh, something can be going as fast as you know eight times the speed of a bullet depending on the orbit so in this case it caused the international space station to basically boost itself up and try to avoid the the space debris pattern and that's major, because the International Space Station it relies on agreement between partner agencies, including Russia. So you ask about what type of laws, well this international pl- laws at play. If someone gets hurt, who's liable? If it knocks at other satellites, who's liable? If it comes back, crashes down on Earth, and and hits, you know, Joe Welch sitting at the grad club, and, and takes out my leg, like. Am I going to get conversation by the Russian government? This is, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking like a lawyer and I'm asking lawyer questions. I'm, I'm not really the corporate guy, but yeah, that's part of it.
2: Because oh, it ties that, into- That's excellent. It's really helpful yeah. to have like that, those specific examples. That's really interesting.
0: So you said, and I wrote it down because it's on the test, 1967 was when we had some laws come out. Has it, like you said, it hasn't really been updated since then. So I guess space law is- I still kind of relatively new.
1: Yeah, so a lot of people consider uh, space activities uh, as the Wild West. And they look to companies like SpaceX and to uh, eccentric individuals like Elon Musk, uh, which some people like him, some people really despise him, uh, as in it's the new frontier. Now, even the word frontier has baggage because of colonialism. So there's a decolonialism movement. And there are people argue about this all the time. So it's not the OS per se. And again, use an analogy that a lot of people don't like because there are laws, but technology is moving so fast and there's no more space activities happening almost exponentially. Mm -hmm. Take SpaceX with the Falcon 9 uh, rockets, reusable rockets, most of the parts, right? So the first booster, it's only been five years since we've had reusable rockets that's amazing in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Now, some people are talking about going back to the moon. Yeah, that's probably feasible. Some people are talking about going to Mars. That's probably not feasible at this point, but uh, you live in interesting times.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So is is space law then more corporate or international or uh, like individual nations? Like what? Yeah. Who designed these laws and, and for what?
1: Yeah, so uh, that's a very good question because it's, it's international law. Some people derive it, um, well, make, mock it as saying international you know, suggestion, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's it, the promise the United Nations doesn't have a police force. And to get to the International Court of Justice, both parties have to agree to go and it has to be binding that way. So in other words, if you're a rogue nation, uh, say for the actions of the Security Council, and the United Nations Security Council, yeah, uh, the, the General Assembly can, you know, declare that this is your actions have been bad and you're a very bad country, but it's not going to change things. Mm. So uh, a lot of space lawyers, and there are space lawyers out there. They're policymakers. They work for large corporations: uh, Boeing, SpaceX, uh, Rocket Lab. Uh, there are also government agencies and there are academia. I like, you know, going back to academia, why map Western, it's all about talking about these ideas. You know? The odds of me going back into a courtroom to, to just to uh, litigate over a space issue is virtually zero. But saying that, like if you spend a bunch of money creating the satellite, uh, you know, say the uh, Western uh, and Western has that, Western actually has done satellites before, sites, but still have satellites, right? Imagine spending four years of your PhD working with a team of people doing a satellite for a specific purpose, and you hire a, a rocket launcher provider out there, okay, and it blows up. Who's liable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you have insurance, and that's why you have the, you know people who go through the contracts, which isn't me. <laughs> okay. And the thing Help I say me. by the way is legal advice. So yeah, go <laughs> okay.
2: Now, for this very important, like, interesting part of your research, you said that you want to incorporate science fiction into your research. Can you talk a little bit about how that works and which type of of science fictions are you using to inform your your research?
1: I love it. Great question. Yeah. So... uh... Speaking more of a legal philosopher right now, if you look at the law, and we all have these concepts of laws and lawyers think of the law very differently from non-lawyers, but the law is generally backwards looking. So in the Commonwealth traditions, which you find in Canada, the United Kingdom, the United States, Australia, it's based on precedent, or starts decisis uh, principle, which means you look at previous cases to try to determine uh, the law, right? What's the principles of the law? What's previous judges have ruled upon us? If you look at a civil system like they find in Germany or France, it's not as backward we're looking, but still you have to go and look it up what's the rule. The problem is technology. There's a rapid pace of technology. We're doing this uh, recording by Zoom. Would that have happened several years ago? Right? We can't control the t- technology because it's research and discovery. We don't know what's going to end up happening. But I can tell you this, there's a lot of smart people who think of these things. And some of them write novels, and some of them make movies, and some of them make TV shows. And some of them have thought about some of these issues, right? From a technological point of view, from a political point of view, even from a religious point of view. And that's what I'm trying to mine. So we, we, we take examples from the past, say nuclear weapons, right? Uh, the Manhattan Project, right? 1945, the United States to, is the first nation to have the bomb. Well, that was predicted, you know. Before that, by H.G. Wells. Not specifics, but this notion of a big giant bomb that's been talked about by science fiction writers before it happened. The famous one is uh, smartphones from Star Trek. You know, who doesn't have a smartphone now? Like, I'm living my dream. I'm living my dream in terms of my intellectual endeavors. Also, I'm back at on campus. I ran back to Echinania. This is a good life. I know we all have our stresses and there's always money issues, but we're talking about ideas. And to me, that's valuable. To me, that's something. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. So I am so curious now, I feel like I need to know. You said you started off kind of doing criminal law and now we're talking about space law. How did you kind of make your way from criminal law all the way over here to looking at space law and science fiction?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I, I made terrible mistakes. No, uh, just life circumstances. Mm -hmm. The fact that is that sometimes you have to do things to pay the bills. Sometimes things to work out. Sometimes, uh, you have to move around a lot. Uh, yeah. If you want to see my, my story, my life, check out my LinkedIn page. It's pretty, it's pretty diverse. I'm not your usual candidate for a job. Let's just say that. And I, you know, I wear that on my sleeve. I'm also a geek. you can probably tell. I think imagination is useful, it is innately useful, especially requiring like solutions or, uh, or insights of problems that's gonna happen in the future. It requires foresight. So I think imagination is good. Yeah, now that, that is a very different point of view from many of my colleagues who take more of a social science role or more of an empirical study role. I'm not poo-pooing them, I think what they do is good. And well uh, but to me i find using science fiction to form future prompts like space debris which i described earlier i think that's useful like come on the pixar movie from 2008 wally that was space debris yep. if pixar can get it right why can't the real world
2: mm-hmm. what i find a very like um interesting about what you're saying is that there's a lot of science fictions out there. And you could like, you could read forever <laughs> and you will never write a dissertation. So yeah. now my my questions go to like, how do you decide which type of and first of all, what do you even consider science fiction? Because there are some things that people say that's not science fiction, that's just fictions. So that can never happen. But I feel like there are some very crazy things that some science fiction science fiction writers are proposing that they seem crazy but possible so how do you decide which things are valuable for your specific research when you, we talk about science fiction we, which is such a broad field
1: that's a very good question and i'm struggling with it myself <laughs> now my supervisor and the reason why i'm at grad school doing a phd uh, i previously did a master's degree in, in of arts and journalism at Weston, when they still have a program but i do, Digress again. Uh, my supervisor's name is Professor Reno Grant. He's a high end, high fire tenure professor at the Faculty of Law who just happens to write novels on the side. So, before life and after life crisis, and Nether Regions is new book that's coming up. So, their question is how do you limit the scope? Well, first thing, science fiction, I take a very wide, uh, broad uh, interpretation of science fiction, more like storytelling. So this whole hard science fiction versus soft science fiction nonsense, it's just nonsense. It can be Harry Potter. If, it's a, if they have some thought exercises, I'll take that. Because there's very little difference between made up science and made up magic in terms of, of the narrative. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to focus more on emerging technologies. So rockets, uh, space tourism, uh, who owns them, uh, you know, who owns stuff in space? Because property rights is a big thing in space law. It's not like the maritime law. There's no law of, the sca- of, of salvage. Went back to public international law. So there, there, there's a lot of things happening. Uh, asteroid mining uh, may happen. Probably not in our lifetimes. Uh, maybe yours, but yeah, it may happen. But you have the environmental stuff as well, which is huge. Cooling the environment. Is space an environment? Well, I personally think it's an environment. Some people don't. Uh warfare and conflict, that's another big one. Now, where it gets get murky, and perhaps it's gonna be my book too, uh, which will get me on a, on a New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> uh, but then you have fun stuff doing like artificial intelligence, right? Uh, the rights of AI, right? I think da- uh, data from Star Trek, uh, you know, or howl from the, uh, you know, Space Odyssey, 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, one's a good guy, one's a bad guy. Uh, biotechnologies, you know, life extensions. If we all live to two hundred years old, that's great, but it means that the wealthy will get more wealth, and their kids aren't going to inherit it for a long time. It causes social problems. Uh, alien contact? Yes, let's talk about aliens. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a free for all. That's probably not gonna make it make it into my dissertation, but yeah, after I find some time, perhaps I'll write something about it because it's philosophical and there's value in that. Asking these philosophical questions, mm-hmm. uh, warm warm hill, holes, teleportation, time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know. You know, there's actually time travel. Believe it or not, if you go really really fast, you actually travel in time faster relative to the people who are stuck on Earth. Right? Look at the Interstellar movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, present a, a good representation of uh, the, uh time differences rel- because of special relativity because this Albert einstein fellow who apparently got things right
0: <laughs> okay i feel like i want to kind of jump off laura's crest question here <laughs> how are you actually picking the books that you're using like is it random like are you looking on like indigo and looking at like popular science fiction novels or are you uh, sticking with popular authors or are you more just focusing on the content of the books themselves
1: that's a very good question um, i'm going to have a very busy time reading and writing my dissertation I'm a science fiction fan so I have a general knowledge base to be to start. I do a, a, I do a, a science fiction geek podcast called the Sci-Fi Podcast. You can find it wherever and on YouTube. But uh, I think you have to start with the classic authors. I think people who are uh, in the running of winning like a, a Hugo or a Saturn award is a great place to start. TV shows is great because the thing with science fiction as well is that it's its own language. If I make a Marvel reference or a Star Wars reference, you almost automatically know, like, you know I'm talking about a lightsaber. So it's his own language, right? The other thing about science fiction too is that it inspires people, especially in the sciences, especially among uh, uh, minorities and and women, it's about the stem, right? It begins, there's a power dynamic going on there. But ultimately I will mind the literature to see what's relevant to the legal issues, because going back to the legal issues, I am studying for a PhD in law, which means I have to tie to, well, what's the current state of law, and uh, what's going to happen in the future, and what should be the, cur- uh, the state of law in the future. So there's a normative aspect to it. And so I'm going to juxtapose uh, science fiction, because science fiction, it's power, it's, it's in its ability to predict predictions. Often it doesn't get anything right or things wrong, but sometimes it gets some things right. At least that's a starting point as a thought experiment.
2: So I think it's uh, when you mentioned that uh, what you're doing is just taking science fiction and hypo- like creating hypotheses of what laws could be applied to certain situations. So what what you want to do is, for example, say, uh, we have a machine that allow us to space travel or to, like, teletransport <laughs> across the universe. How should that, uh, like, which people can teletransport or which places can you move without a passport? <laughs> or or yeah, like, are you asking this kind of specific questions or you're just going into a more broad... Uh, a spectrum of
1: yeah a good example which has been uh, addressed before by other authors is Star Trek and how the economy works in Star Trek world so uh, because most things uh, you have a replica you can replicate most things right they don't use money for instance so they can focus on what they care about so instead of having a commodity or currency based economic system they have a reputational based system So if you're a Starfleet officer, you have high esteem. That's what motivates people. Do you need laws for that? What's that gonna do to Wall Street? Yeah, do we need securities, like uh, like, uh, stocks and shares laws, right? Uh, How about your property laws? So law is a huge topic, absolutely. There's intellectual property rights involved as well. I like the philosophy side. You know, I, I can only do so much. And uh, my dissertation, hopefully I can turn this into a book and then write a second book and third book afterwards, hopefully into a series, because that's how I'm trying to influence the world around me is by, by looking at these ideas. I'm not gonna get everything right, but maybe someone will, will criticize me and come up with an even better idea. And that's how knowledge uh, grows.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, has anyone ever done anything like this before, or is are you kind of, you know, the first one to look at at uh, space law and science fiction together?
1: Uh, people have dabbled in law and literature, and they've used some science fiction properties. But uh, I just wrote my uh, paper last term on um, uh, literature review, what's out there, and it, it's definitely major gaps in the literature. So I don't want to say I'm the first person, but I'm not. Uh, people have dabbled about this, but there's not a lot of literature out there and there's room for this to uh, to be valuable for scholars and for uh, common folks.
2: And what, what did you find on that paper? Like, Can you give us an overview or, of what you... Yes,
1: uh, most of it would be like uh, you know, dealing with, say, men's rea in terms of, say, uh uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Men's is a guilty mind in criminal law. So they're, they're using a piece of literature to try to, to f- uh, flesh out a legal principle. Other stuff is, uh, I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Uh, oh, like, uh, uh, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. And if you don't know the property, it's been around, it was a BBC radio series in the 70s, books written, Douglas Adams, uh, he wrote a bunch of Doctor Who episodes. I'm talking shop. But basically, back before there were smartphones, when people traveled, they have to actually have a book, a travel book, right? And he has this idea, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is basically nowadays is a smartphone with a Wikipedia app. That's not my line. That's, uh, that's said by Chip Stewart, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> that was actually my following question because I was wondering yeah. if there's any law currently that exists that was informed by science fiction on the beginning because I feel like I we live, like we live in an era that happened very fast, very quickly, and I was like so many things are new that we had to, yeah. we had to propose a lot of ideas that were, that came out of fiction because where else we didn't have a like long way to study how technology will behave. So I was wondering if you know about any laws or like any things that exist in the present that are, in, are informed by science
1: fiction. No, and I think that's a big mistake because again, uh, we can't afford to be rea- uh, reactive and the law is generally slow, it's reactive. But if you take up say space debris or you know, environment dis- disasters, contrast like bad things in space that may affect earth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in global warming. We need satellites to actually look at how f- fast the temperature is rising on earth. That's important. Also, armed conflict, that would be disastrous in space. Yet we live in a very violent world, unfortunately, more so nowadays. Uh, you know, Satellites, uh, the first satellite was Sputnik, right? Uh, which is, uh, sorry, 57, yeah, I think it's 57, uh, 1957. But you, you have uh, Arthur C. Clarke, he predicted satellites, human-made satellites in 1945. Imagine being a policy maker just after the Second World War and some smart scientist person say, hey, we can put a human made object in space and they can send radio waves around. Maybe we need some laws to govern this.
2: And if we we do that, we could have more people just dreaming. (laughs) Like your job is to dream about what can happen. And then we, we 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 will create laws on that, and it does it doesn't matter if we'd never use it. We were just ready for it <laughs> in case some <laughs> things do happen.
1: <laughs> yes, academia in uh, the non-hard sciences. <laughs> okay.
0: So obviously, for what you're working on right now, it sounds like you are primarily looking at like science fiction novels, correct?
1: Yep, yeah. and, and movies. Star would be big on it, I'm sure.
0: Okay, so you are including including movies as well then. Yes. And how, is it are you using the same process uh, as you are with books like you just kind of have a broad knowledge of science fiction films as well, um, and that's how you're incorporating them?
1: Yeah, it's more you know, Marsha McLuhan said the message of the medium is the message. The message is the medium. There you go. Uh, which is basically saying, yeah, you know the way you convey and understand information is important. Uh, from my perspective in terms of my dissertation, not so much. It's the ideas that's when I latch onto, not the, the format of the, the, the delivery of the storytelling. Like if I go out camping, and someone tells me a good story around a campfire, and it's relevant to these problems, I'm gonna use it.
0: Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. We have just about enough time for one last question, and I think it might be the hardest question of tonight. What is your favorite science fiction book?
1: Ooh, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to put you on the spot. <laughs>
1: I'm an older fellow, I think, uh, okay, it's Wilma Gibson, Neuromancer, Cyberpunk, right, really important, or it's Frank Herbert's Dune uh, book, the first one, because there's religious and environmental overtones to it, which I kind of enjoy a lot.
0: Perfect. Well, that doesn't take you too long to figure out an answer. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Joel. Um, if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about your research, is there a website that they can go to or somewhere they can reach you?
1: Absolutely. I can be found on Twitter. My Twitter address is my first name, underscored my last name. So it's Joel, J-O-E-L underscore Welch, W-E-L-C-H. I'm the guy with the beard and the bald head.
0: Perfect, well, thank you so much. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Rose, and my co-host and producer is Laura. We've been speaking with Joel Welch. If you'd like to get involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCastRadio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thanks for listening and have a great night.